Well, good morning. Take God's word in your hands to Acts chapter 9. I always feel kind of uh, odd when uh, the elders get up and start talking about their alma maters. Uh, being the youngest of the elders by many years, I might add. I, uh, in fact, uh, haven't even finished college. I'm a junior at uh, Moody Bible Institute. And uh, that surprises some of you over there. Uh, the sad thing is, if you're a junior, I probably won't graduate with you. I'm scheduled to graduate 2022. <clears throat> And you say, I didn't know that Moody had a, a program like that. There's a lot of people that go to college for more than seven years, and we call them doctors. And uh, that's what I'm hoping by then Moody will have as a uh, program. Uh, but uh, I am in the uh, distant learning uh, program at Moody, and uh, it is great to have uh, you a part of our uh, worship service this morning. I have one suggestion to you, and as a student... At Moody, uh, you need someone who can play the cowbell, and I'm really good at banging on a cowbell, and uh, I think that would be something that would add a great deal, don't you think? A uh, big bald guy banging on a cowbell during a gospel choir? Yeah, they don't like that idea. If you haven't uh, grabbed your friendship registry this morning, make sure you grab it. It's on the uh, right side of your pew. Pass that down as you fill in uh, your attendance here this uh, morning and are a part of that. We would appreciate that a great deal. But we find ourselves this morning back in Acts uh, chapter 9. And we are in the series that we are calling uh, The Amazing uh, Change. And as we've looked at this amazing change, we've looked at the conversion of a man named Saul who would, after this change, become uh, the Apostle uh, Paul. And uh, this uh, text in Acts chapter 9 gives us 17 verses. Uh, the first 17 verses that we've looked at have talked about Saul going from breathing out murderous threats, hating everything about Jesus Christ and Christianity, and having a transformation that would change him forever. It would be a radical transformation uh, that would work not only in his uh, physical realm, not only in the emotional realm, but most importantly in the spiritual realm in such a way that he would go from being a hater of Christianity to be, being known as one of the greatest Christians to ever live. In fact, many believe that he is one of uh, uh, only the second greatest man uh, to ever walk the face of the earth, second only to the person uh, of Jesus Christ. And as we look at this uh, text, we find that we desire change just like Saul had in his life. As Christians, we desire for God to change us as he did uh, with Saul. So let's look at our text this morning. I'm going to pick up in uh, verse 10 of chapter 9. Of course, verses 1 through 9 talk about his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And in verse 10, he's led because he's now blinded by uh, viewing Jesus in all his glory. He's blinded and led to the city of Damascus where he's waiting for God to speak to him. And this is what it says. In Damascus, uh, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Now, in a vision, he had seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I'm going to ask that we stand for the text that we're looking at this morning. And this is what it says in verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house he entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. And Lord, we desire life change. 
Lord, I pray first and foremost for the one in this place who has never experienced uh, the love of Jesus Christ in the powerful and transforming way that Saul did on that road. Lord, uh, even as you come with love, there's much that must change in our lives when we approach you, when we see you in your brilliance and all your splendor. And Lord, I pray for that individual today who has walked in here today, not sure why, Lord, but that you would reveal yourself to them in a powerful way. And in doing so, that they would see you and meet you and encounter you in a way that would allow them to experience eternal life. Lord, also we pray for uh, many of us who have come, who have come and who have bowed the knee to you, who have submitted to you. And yet, Lord, we find ourselves, uh, whether it's because of the world or because of sin or because of just distractions, Lord, uh, finding ourselves Uh, not excited to serve you, finding ourselves not fired up as we once were uh, for uh, who you are and and what you desire for us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be touched this morning by this phrase that Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, we need your filling. Lord, we must have your filling. And so, Lord, we pray that your spirit would fall on this place in a powerful way. Lord, that it would teach us to say no to sin and no to ungodliness and to pursue holiness in every way so that you in heaven would receive glory, honor, and praise. So, Lord, speak to us this morning as we look at Saul's life and how he was filled with the spirit and how we too can be filled by that same spirit this morning. We love you and thank you and praise you. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Anytime we see a dramatic transformation take place in the life of an individual, we want to know what the secret was to their success. How did they do it? What was their game plan? What allowed them to experience the changes that transpired? It seems that here in America, we find ourselves infatuated with the before and after picture phenomenon. It seems that we love to see where we were before we had that life change and where we are at now. When we look at the life of Saul, in our culture, it'd be very easy for us to say, can we see the before and after pictures Can we see how Saul really was changed? Can we see the evidence of that? You know, we desire life change. We desire changes to take place in all facets of life. You turn on the television and you will find makeover show after makeover show. Now, we used to think that makeovers were just a thing for the ladies, but not so anymore. You can, you can find a show on the Speed Channel that talks about how to make over your new pickup truck, how to put all the bells and whistles on it. Of course, you can watch Extreme Makeover talking about how a family uh, who finds himself down on their luck, a guy by the name of Ty comes in with a whole group of people and in one week they take a house that has all kinds of struggles and all kinds of issues with it and they make it brand new. We love the idea of transformation. We love the idea of life change, of seeing what used to be and what now is. No better way than uh, in the area of especially weight loss. We seem to long to find out how people were able to take those 20 pounds off, how people were able to do it. And we will go and say, what was your method? How did you accomplish what took place? How did you get to where you are today? How did you find success? Success has been defined uh, in this way as, as being one, I'm sorry, success has been defined as being a favorable and desired outcome. And it seems that in all facets of life, we want to find success. We want to find victory. We want to be able to change what we don't like about ourselves or what we don't like about the things that we have and make them new to be able to get to that desired outcome. But when it comes to Paul's life, his early life before he met Christ, we don't see a life of success 
Or you may say, uh, from an earthly perspective, he was pretty successful. A Pharisee among Pharisees. He was young. He was zealous. He found himself rising above uh, uh, many other of his peers. Uh, up the, if you will, the pharisaical ladder. Doing things that a young person like him would have never done. And he found himself heading out to do his job like a good Pharisee. To be successful. And yet he finds out the success that he thought he was to pursue was the wrong kind of success. And so we see a transformation take place. And Saul goes from being the Pharisee Saul to being an apostle. And we look now back 2,000 years ago and we say the things that Paul did were utterly amazing. How could an individual, how could a human being do what Paul did? We begin to raise him up and build a, uh, a pedestal for this man saying he's the greatest. In fact, he has something more than we have. There must have been something because his success, there's no way to be able to uh, have that kind of success in our own lives. I'm just a human being and Saul must have been, um, Paul must have been something more because what would have allowed him to be so great? What would have allowed him to be the great man of prayer that he was? What would have allowed him to exhibit such faith amidst such certain times of trial and even death that he would stand up for the name of Jesus Christ? What would allow him to go into a room of his enemies and speak so powerfully that he would even impact the lives of those who wanted to kill him? That doesn't sound like a mere man. It sounds like something greater than that. Because you and I, of course, we would never be able to do that. What would allow him to sit in a dungeon, a jail cell, and still be able to say after everyone has deserted him with no money, And with the prospect only of death that he would say in the book of Philippians, which I might add is the letter of joy, that he would say, I can be content in all circumstances. What is the secret to this man's success? What allowed this example of incredible life change to take place? The answer that Paul gives is not only just found in Acts chapter 9, when Luke gives just a very quick statement in verse 17, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. But Paul would later in his writings uh, to the Ephesus church would tell all to be filled with the Spirit. Now see, for many of us, when we read this, we say, okay, yeah, Paul was something greater than I am, so I can maybe live up to half of what Paul has done. And and even that's going to be a stretch. But we find ourselves not pursuing that because we feel like that kind of success, that kind of life change is out of our reach. I like what uh, the famous British statesman Benjamin Disraeli uh, said, that the secret to success is a continual pursuit of your divine purpose. Let me read that again. The secret to success is a continual pursuit of your divine purpose. Why was Paul so successful? What allowed him to do the great things that, that uh, for any Christian we would long to be able to do? The answer is, is he pursued God's plan for his life. And the way he did it, the conduit by which that took place, is by being filled with the Holy Spirit. You want to be filled? You want to do great things for God? Then you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. You want to be a man or woman of prayer? Then you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. You want to stand uh, strong amidst troubled times? You must be filled with the Holy Spirit. You want to be able to have victory over temptation and sin? You must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Sadly, so many of us are not. It seems that we find ourselves desiring to be filled but not filling ourselves with the goodness of who God is and the life in Christ that we find in the Spirit of God. So how are we uh, to do that? How are we to get there? The only answer that we can find is what Paul has given because in this before and after picture, Paul says, how did I do it? It had nothing to do with me. It had to do with the Spirit of the living God who came upon me and now is doing great things through me. So let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. That's where we're going to be at for the rest of the morning. Ephesians chapter 5. If you're in the book of Acts, go to your right in the Bible. And you're going to go through books like Romans and 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. You're going to come to a book of Galatians. And then after Galatians, you're going to find the book of Ephesians. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 and 18 is where we're going to find our text this morning. Again, this is the Apostle Paul, years after uh, the time that Acts 9 is taking place. And this is what uh, the Apostle Paul says to a church that he deeply loved. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now notice what he says. The Lord's will is what? Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with with the Spirit. What's the Lord's will for our lives? It's not to be drunk with wine, but it is to be filled with the Spirit. How did Paul uh, do all that he did? He did not find himself distracted, but he knew what the Lord's will in his life was. Now, I know that there are some, especially uh, many of our younger people, who are longing to understand what the will of the Lord is. Do you notice that it's not very specific? What is it? Don't get drunk and be filled with the Spirit. Well, there's nothing about what college he was going to go to, who he might marry. It wasn't about whether he would live in Ephesus or Corinth. None of that was a part of understanding, if you will, the will of God. It was quite simple. Be filled with the Spirit. We make the Christian life so many times so complicated that we miss out on the clear understanding of what Scripture says. What is the Lord's will in our life? To be filled with the Spirit. Well, why is this so important? I like what Ray Steadman, a a pastor from a generation ago, said. He said that the filling of the Spirit is the greatest secret to Christianity. The filling of the Spirit is the greatest secret to Christianity. I like what John MacArthur says. He says, if you don't obey this uh, filling of the Spirit, this command of being filled in the Spirit, you will not obey any other commands from God. Meaning, if you can't get this one down, don't try to do the other ones. This is foundational. Because if you want to have a life that is glorifying to God, then you must be filled. Well, how do we do that? We have to answer three questions this morning. Let's look to our outlines. The first question we must ask are, what are Paul's reasons for being filled? What are Paul's reasons for being spirit-filled? Well, in our text, it would say, well, it doesn't say. It says just be filled with the Spirit. We have to look at that that two words there in the English language, be filled. And we have to begin to nuance that in the original text to understand what is being said. Because years after Paul's conversion in Damascus, he goes to the Ephesian believers and what he articulates to them is he says, I want you to be filled. But what's the reason for it? In fact, Luke hits on this idea of being filled in the book of Acts 10 different times when he speaks about them being filled. One commentary said that in those 10 references in the book of Acts, it seems that being filled had an impact in all levels of life from the beginning all the way to the end. In fact, Jesus, in some of his last words in the book of Acts, says we will receive power through the work of the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit there to do? He's to fill us so that we may go out and be the witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the uttermost parts of the world. Why does Paul say we must be spirit-filled? The answer is found in his command. Notice what he says. He says, be filled with the Spirit. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. This isn't, hey, if you've got some time, be filled. It's not if, uh, hey, if you've got nothing else better to do, then be filled. Or if you find yourself at a place where you you are in utter disarray and utter turmoil, then maybe go ahead and be filled as a last-ditch effort to try to accomplish something. This is a command. It is found in the imperative. Be filled with the Spirit. This isn't something we need to talk about or discuss. It's something that we as Christians must be able to do and must do if we want to bring glory to God in our lives. Now, the scriptures throughout the, uh, the Bible, it tells us why this is such an important command. First of all, because we are told that we must be controlled by the Spirit. 
Paul's command reminds us of the importance of being controlled by the Spirit. Look back at verse 17 of Ephesians 5. It seems kind of odd how how Paul works all this in together. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Why would he say that and then all of a sudden start talking about the Holy Spirit? Why would he talk about uh, not getting drunk on Bud Light or Miller Light or any of your lights or or non-light beers? Why, Why does he bring that up? Why is that such an important thing? It would seem that all of a sudden he lost his place in his notes and he starts going on about drunkenness and then he switches it, maybe saying, you know what, maybe these Ephesians don't want to hear about this. Maybe this is an issue amongst the church. So I'll leave that alone and I'll move to being filled with the Spirit. No, there's a reason for Paul's contrast. The contrast is quite simple. If you are drunk with wine, then you are controlled by the wine that you drink. Now, think about that for a moment. I don't know how many of you find yourselves, uh, have found yourselves at an event where someone is, is drunk, but you will notice that, of course, when they find themselves after drinking too much, they find themselves being controlled by the very drink that they've been placing in their body. And the more that they drink, the more they find themselves being controlled. Now, what Paul isn't saying here, and I want to make this clear, is that it's not saying that drinking per se is wrong. Now, there's going to be a lot of varying opinions on the subject of alcohol in a room this size with a group this size. And what, what my opinion is, which doesn't mean very much, isn't that there is a prohibition to drinking. There is a prohibition to being drunk. Now, notice we find ourselves so many times, especially in churches like ourselves, to focus in on that one, to talk about the importance of whether we believe in abstinence uh, from drinking or we find ourselves saying, no, we have freedom in Christ to drink, but don't get drunk. We focus in on that, but we don't focus in on the more important subject, the subject of what Paul's trying to get at. He's using drunkenness as an example, as an illustration of what it means to be controlled by the Spirit. I wrote this down and and I just my words. I said, I find it far more prevalent that there is sinful teetotaling than that of drunkenness. Now you say, what do you mean by that, Tim? We have far too many people abstaining from drinking in the holiness and goodness of the Spirit of God and not the drunkenness of being controlled by that Spirit. You see, we find ourselves saying, you know what, Holy Spirit, I don't want to get too involved because I may have the label of charismatic or Pentecostal put on me to be said that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. No, that was an Acts word. We don't use that word here. We do use that word because it's a biblical word. It is a command that Paul gives us. And what he is saying when he says be filled is you must be controlled. You must be controlled. Just as the drunk is controlled by the bottle, so we must be controlled by the Spirit of the living God. You want to know if you're filled with the Spirit this morning? Ask the question, what's in control of your life? If you're making the decisions of your life, if you're deciding where you're going to go or what you're going to do in the major elements of your life, if you find yourself giving into sin day in and day out, then there's probably a, uh, an assessment that needs to be done saying, I probably am not filled with the Spirit because it's not controlling me as it should. There's a second thing that we see, and that is that we must be connected to the Spirit. We must be connected Look at what verse 18 says again. It says, be filled. This phrase, be filled, is found in the present tense. What that means is it's a continuous action. This isn't something that happens once uh, and, and never continues on. It is something that must go on and on, day by day, moment by moment. It is something that we must continually be a part of. The Greek literally would be rendered, keep on being filled by the Spirit. Or be being filled by the Spirit. Now, many of us as Christians don't find victory. Many of us as Christians don't find the joy and the peace and the contentment that we should have as as believers because we're not connected. And we begin to ask the question, why don't I have joy? Why don't I have peace? Why don't I have all the things that the Spirit of God says I will have? And what we begin to do is begin to point our fingers at God and we begin to say, you're messed up. 
God, you're broken. Your way of life change doesn't make sense and it's not working. Uh, My boys uh, uh, got, uh, we were helping a a group of friends move and uh, they were moving to California and they had this old uh, Power Wheels four-wheeler in their garage. They said, we don't got any more room to, to move any of this stuff. Would your boys like it? It doesn't have a battery and, and, and there's all kinds of problems to it. Maybe you can fix it up and the boys can have it. And so what, that's what we did. And living out in Hinkley, we're a bunch of hillbillies. And instead of going and getting a Power Wheels uh, battery that cost you like $50, I went to the local uh, Napa store and I said, give me a big lawnmower battery. And he says, oh, you're one of those guys, power wheels, huh? I said, yeah, someone else is that. Yeah, that a lot of guys seem to find themselves doing it. Well, the four-wheeler didn't have enough room for this battery, so we put it right underneath the, uh, the steering column there, and it's this lawnmower battery that I've now spliced the wires to the four-wheeler, and now I've hooked them up to it. Now, this thing really moves now. I mean, it's like Tim the Toolman Taylor. You know, these guys just start flying down there, and it goes and goes and goes. The thing's like the Energizer Bunny. But there's one problem. Dad hasn't spent the extra dollar and a half to get clamps for the wires. And so what happens is, is we find ourselves continually uh, having to go outside because my little boy Joshua will come in and he'll say, Daddy, the four-wheeler's broken. And I say, it's not broken. Yes, it is. It's broken. And I'd go out there knowing it's not broken. But what has happened? It has been disconnected from the power source. And you know that, I think, you may say it's a dumb illustration, I think it's a great one, but, uh, but the reason why I like that illustration is because I know what I do when it comes to my spiritual walk. When things aren't going like they should, the way they're written out in Scripture, I don't think about that my connection with God may be off. I may not think, I don't think about what maybe I've done. Usually the reason why the connection gets frayed or the connection gets loose is because my boys love running into things with that. My neighbor has come and talked to me numerous times. My neighbor is a, he's a large guy. He makes me look small in a lot of ways. And, and he always comes and he's a, a big guy with even a bigger truck. And my boys love his truck. It's loud. It's big. And what do my guys, my little guys do? They take the four-wheeler and they run the four-wheeler into the truck. Then they will get out of the, uh, off the tr- uh, four-wheeler, go and knock on his door and say, your truck hit my four-wheeler. And they forget that he's bigger than their dad. (laughs) And so what happens? During the course of their activities, doing what I've told them not to do, they find themselves disconnecting from the power source that they need to be able to fulfill what they want to do on that four-wheeler. We as Christians find ourselves disconnected many times, disconnected from the Spirit. We find ourselves not living day by day, moment by moment, situation by situation, connected to the Spirit of God. Well, what else does it involve? It involves complying with the Spirit's leading. Notice what this phrase says again. It says, be filled. Well, what what, what do we say with that? In the Greek, it would have been found in passive voice. What does that mean? Passive voice, uh, I never was very good at English. I have to ask my wife these questions many times. It means that this is something that we cannot do on our own. It is something that we must receive. So when it says be filled, we have to, if you will, be the wide receiver. We can't be the quarterback in this situation. We have to be ready to receive what is going to be given to us. This isn't something you can do on your own. This is something that we must find ourselves receiving. Notice in Acts 9 when it talks about Paul receiving the Holy Spirit that there's nothing he does. There's nothing that merits it. This isn't something you read your Bible or you finish your Awana book and at the end of the year, instead of getting a badge, you get the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's just not how it works. We receive the Holy Spirit the moment we uh, come to Jesus Christ by faith. And it's from that moment on that we are to be filled in a continual way complying with that Spirit's leading. How do we do it? The filling takes place as we sing the hymn uh, that we do many times here. And that the words become the motto of our life. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of Thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for Thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only 
for my king. Are you in compliance with God when it comes to obeying him and following him? This isn't something we can do, but it's something that we uh, can receive. We must comply with the Spirit's leading. Finally, we see that we must uh, also be complete in Christ. In Ephesians 3, verse 16, just a page over, this is what uh, the text says. Paul is praying for this church. And he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches that Christ may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you, listen to what it says, may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. The desire of God in heaven is that we will be full to the full measure of knowing God. And not knowing God in the sense of intellectual knowledge, but knowing God for who he is and and what he's done and having a deep and wonderful relationship with him. But how does it happen? It must take place when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. This idea of being filled in the Greek, it was literally used as a word that would talk my kind of language, and that is the seasoning of your favorite steak. What they would say is, put the spice on liberally so it will be filled with the seasoning, with the taste. For ladies, this would be used, uh, uh, as my mom used to do so many times, the the thing that she would do right before we, uh, uh, or right when we got into the car heading to church, she thought it was the best time uh, when we were most close as a family in proximity that she would pull out the bottle of perfume and begin to allow herself to be filled with the fragrances of the perfume. You can get beat up in the third grade if you walk into Sunday school class with women's perfume on you. And that's what would take place. But the most prominent most prevalent type of uh, phrase this being filled was used in was among sailors. And what it would mean was is that uh, to be filled literally was a seaman's term of talking about the sail in a boat. And what they would say is their desire, if they wanted to get from one place to another destination, their desire was is that the sails would be filled. Why? Because that means wind is being poured into them. And as wind is being poured into them, they are moving from one place to another. That brings in that compliance, that submission again. Because we can put up the sails, but we can't make it windy. We have to wait. We have to position ourselves in such a way that we grab a hold of all that wind and gain the momentum that we need. If we want to be complete in Christ, if we want to know the full measure of God, then we must be filled by the Holy Spirit. Now Paul tells us, that we won't get far if we're not filled. And yet why is it that so many of us don't find ourselves being filled up? If this is the important uh, elements of Scripture, if we're to be controlled by the Spirit, connected by the Spirit, complying with the Spirit, and being complete in Christ, if those are key facets of our Christian walk, why is it that so many of us find ourselves not doing those things and in fact running on empty? The answer is found in what took place this last summer. You know, many of us, of course, found ourselves uh, just swallowing very hard when we would drive into the gas station. Four dollars for a gallon of gas. And you would pour that into your Toyota or, or into your Chevy and, and you would sit there and, and, and just, you'd just feel sick to your stomach. I'm going to spend this kind of money. I want to give you an idea. Uh, when you run uh, six catering vans that all have 31 gallons of, uh, in a gas tank. At $4 a gallon, I used to go to the local gas station and have to take out a short-term loan because I would find myself paying, writing a check for $700 for just a week of gas. You thought you had gas pains? That was the wrong way of saying that, didn't I? <laughs> That's an inadvertent joke. You thought it was bad? It was bad. And you know what happened? I was reading uh, in the Chicago Tribune one time that there was this new phenomenon that was taking place. And that new phenomenon was that people would run on empty. They would only put in a couple dollars to get to where they needed to be. Why? Because the expense was far too much for them to handle. 
They didn't have that kind of loose income, if you will, to be able to put, fill up the tank to the fullness of what it was to have. And so what would they do? They'd put a little in just to get by, just to get where they needed to, and then they would go, they would run down empty again, and they would fill it up. That is a beautiful picture of what most of us as Christians do. Why aren't we filled by the Holy Spirit? Because it costs us too much. Because it may change the way we talk. It may change the way we treat our family and our friends. It may mean we start telling others about the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. So what do we do? It's too expensive, God. I can't do that, God. I don't have that kind of cash or capital at my disposal. But Lord, I love you. And, and I don't want to be a complete failure. So I'll put a couple gallons in. And it'll get me by. It'll get me until I need some more. And in fact... What happened more and more, in this article it said that more and more times that AAA was called because people ran out of gas. Because they said, I can make it to the next exit. I can make it. And little did they know that they were running low. Some of you are running on empty today and you don't know it. You're on vapors and not living, being filled by the Spirit. Well, if that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit, what are the personal requirements for being filled? What are the personal requirements for being filled? What does it involve? I love that uh, in the uh, text, it is not found as a singular command being filled, but it's a plural one. What this is saying is, is that Paul has found something that none of, us, none of us else can have. This isn't something that only the super spiritual uh, can be a part of. This is something that involves all of us. We are commanded all to be filled by the Spirit. Victor Edmund said this about the Spirit-filled life. It is no mystery revealed to a select few, no goal difficult of attainment. It is simply to trust and obey, which is the substance of the whole matter of being filled by the Spirit. This isn't a mystery, he says. It's not some secret that no one else knows about, but it is something that simply is found in the song that we used to sing in Sunday school, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. What are the requirements? How do we begin to trust and obey? Well, it involves three things. Number one, it involves conversion by the Spirit. Very quickly... You can't be filled by something that you haven't been born into. My children carry many of the characteristics that I have as a father to them. Why? Because the DNA which is in their bodies has much of it coming from me. And so they're going to look like me. They're going to talk like me. God help them, they're going to act like me. Why? Because they're filled if you will, with the DNA of myself and Amanda. And so what we need to understand is, is we can't be filled with something until we've been born of something. Jesus talking to Nicodemus, the great teacher of Israel in John chapter 3, says that flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You can't have reproduction in a spiritual way, meaning being filled on a continual basis. You can't have that taking place. You can't be bearing fruit of the Spirit unless you're born of the Spirit. Some of us are trying to be filled with the Spirit this morning and we'll never be able to do it because we've never bowed the knee to Jesus Christ and given ourselves over to Him. That's the first requirement. We must be a saved individual. We must be converted by the Spirit. The second thing we see is that uh, the second requirement is confession of sin. It's confession of sin. Jesus spoke to his disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16. He tells them that the job of the Holy Spirit was to come into the world and to convict the world of its sin. And continually that is taking place, not just in the life of the world, that the, the Holy Spirit is telling the world, you're missing it on this Jesus. You're missing it. He's the Lord and Savior. Get right with God. He's convicting the heart of the unbeliever. But I believe in my heart that he's continually convicting us of our sin. The Bible says that we as believers can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can grieve him. Well, what does that mean? How do we begin to grieve him? Well, we, we sadden him. We make him, uh, in, in, in essence, in the Greek, literally to hurt, to be filled with pain. Why? Because we sin. The word confession in the Greek literally means to be, uh, to make uh, of the same mind. 
to agree with, to comply with, if you will. It literally means to say the same thing. So if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then you need to be talking the same language that the Holy Spirit is. You can't be filled with the Holy Spirit and find yourself living a life that is contrary to what the Spirit of God has told you to live. You can't do that. So we must be one in the same mind. We must confess sin. We must agree with the Holy Spirit. He says, Tim, you're struggling in this way. You're falling to sin in this way and this way. Now, if I want to be filled, I've got a decision to make. I can either turn away from God and say, you don't know what you're talking about, Holy Spirit. You know what? Leave me alone. And you're not going to get filled that way. If you want to be filled, then you say, you know what, Lord? You're right. Spirit of God, you're right. I have sinned. And my sin is an affront to you. I need to fix that. I need, and by fixing it, it's not me trying to do better, but it's me laying that before you and giving it to you once and for all. Some of us aren't being filled by the Spirit this morning because we're holding on to a sin. We're holding on to an element in our lives that we're unwilling to give up. Paul says, let it go. Confess your sin. Finally, it involves a commitment to submit. In Galatians 5.16, Paul tells us something that is so very important to all facets of our lives. Turn there for a moment. Galatians 5.16, if you're in Ephesians, go one book back to the book of Galatians to your left there. And this is what it says. Verse 16 says, So I say, live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. It's another way of being filled by the Spirit. And notice what will happen. You will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. I like how the Amplified Bible declares this. It says, walk and live habitually in the Holy Spirit and be guided by him. Another translation says, obey the Holy Spirit's instructions and he will tell you where to go and what to do. If we want to be filled by the Spirit, then we must commit ourselves to being submitted to that Spirit, to giving ourselves wholly over to God. You can't be filled by a Spirit that you are not submitted to. And so many times we find ourselves as believers not following the ways of God and still on Sundays wanting to be filled by that Spirit. And it's just not going to happen. It's not going to take place. Well, what does this commitment involve? Well, first of all, this commitment's to a person. This isn't some spirit. This isn't some Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker force. The Spirit of the living God is a person who can be grieved. This person indwells you, the Scripture says. The Scripture seals you until the day that we meet Jesus Christ face to face. This spirit is the pledge or the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance of salvation. In fact, in Romans 8.16, the Bible tells us that the spirit is a witness that we are the children of God, that we can cry out to God, Abba, Father. He's a witness. Next, we see this commitment reflects our position. At the moment of salvation, I've told you this already, you are filled with the Spirit. You're not going to get any more of the Spirit than what you have right now. It's as if we, you know, I heard today the weather's supposed to have like 50 mile an hour winds. Now the question is, the 50 mile an hour winds uh, are going to be there. The question is, is if I want to be out in a boat on Lake Michigan and I want to get to Michigan, then what I need to do is I need to put up the sails. The wind's already there. The Spirit of God is already living inside of you. The issue that we have as believers is to put up the sails to make sure that that Spirit now has uh, an opportunity to do something in our lives. That's why the Spirit says, or the, the Bible says that we should not quench the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't put the fire of the Holy Spirit out, but let it be there in full fervor in what it's to accomplish. It should reflect our position. If we've already got Him in, within us, then we should live it out. We should live in light of it. And that leads us, it should change our priorities. In verse 17, it tells us in Ephesians 5, verse 17, that we are not to be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. But what are we to do? We're to be filled with the Spirit. What is the priority of an alcoholic? The priority of the alcoholic is to be filled with drink. The priority of the alcoholic is to get to the end of the day so we can go find ourselves in a bar and drink our sorrows away. Because at the end of the day, that's what we want. 
So if we're filled with the Spirit, we too should be like that drunk, except not drunk on wine or beer, but drunk on the Holy Spirit. And what that means is it's going to change our priorities. If we want to be filled with the Spirit, then the priority we should have is to be finding ourselves, quote-unquote, where the Holy Spirit is served. I don't want to be flippant in that, but I think it proves a point. Why Why do people go to bars? Because they know alcohol is there. They know that it will be there in ready supply. Why are we a part of church? Why are we a part of Bible studies? Why are we a part of devotions? Because that is where we find the Holy Spirit in full supply. One final thing we see this morning. What are the practical results? I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I don't think it's per se in the text, um, but I I want to pull it out uh, for what it's worth. After Paul speaks about being filled with the Spirit, He goes through a litany in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6 of practical areas of life that I believe with all my heart could could be positively influenced if we were led by the Spirit. Look in your Bibles just for a moment. We're going to close our time. Look at what it says. After it talks about being filled with the Spirit, look at verse 19. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's he talking about there? He's saying your worship can be positively affected when you are filled with the Spirit. It affects your worship. You want to be changed by the worship you're a part of? You watch these uh, young people up here singing with incredible fervor and said, I wish I had that, then be filled by the Spirit. I was watching one of the guys in the middle here, awful pale to be a brother, and he was dancing away. And I said, that's why they got him up front. The man's got rhythm. And yet we find ourselves so many times not being filled. And we say, man, worship wasn't all that today. I'll tell you what, I loved what they did today. I want more of that bass guitarist, man, just driving up and down that thing. That's where I want to hit the cowbell, get all excited about the cowbell. What else do we see? You're going to love this. Life after the wedding. I needed to find a W. Married life. Some of you got that. Life after the wedding. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wives, it says in verse 22, submit to your husbands. You want a better marriage? Start being filled by the Spirit. It's simple. I know some of us are struggling in deep and profound ways when it comes to our marriages. And I don't want to diminish that in one way. But you want to know what the Lord's will for your life is, husband and wife? To be filled with the Holy Spirit so that as the husband looks at the wife, he sits there and says, I'll do anything for you, dear, because my Savior laid down his life for me and I'm to love you in that same way. And the wife looks at her husband being filled by the Spirit and says, I know that there are going to be times that you make bad decisions and there's going to be times that maybe you don't know exactly which way to go, but I'm going to submit myself as Christ submitted himself to the will of the Father in heaven. That's what being Spirit-filled is going to do to your marriage. It's going to change the way we look at one another. It's going to change the way we love one another. It involves another place. And that is our family's well-being. He goes on in uh, verse, uh, let's see here, verse 4 of chapter 6. And even in verse 1, children, obey your parents. He says, do this. It's right. Honor your mother and father. It's a command. Look at verse 4. Don't exasperate your children, fathers. Instead, train them up in the instruction of the Lord. What is the goal of God's will for our life when it comes to our family? To be filled with the Spirit. Children, what does that mean? It means honor mom and dad. It's simple. Don't worry about anything else. Honor your mom and your dad. And the Bible says there's a, there's a command that comes with a promise. That's what it means. What does it mean for us as fathers? It means don't get so angry with your kids that you produce wrath in them, rage to come out as a result. It involves our family. Next, he goes on, involves work. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of the heart just as you obey Christ. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It means going to work with a better attitude. It means going to work and not saying that your boss is the biggest jerk on the face of the earth. It means going and saying, I am obeying you, not because you per se are a good boss, but because I serve a bigger boss in the corporate office named Jesus Christ. And I'm going to serve him and I'm going to honor him. And in doing so, I am going to be the best employee that I can be. But notice it's for others as well. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. 
Treat them in the same way. That means you, us as employers, be very careful how you treat the ones that work for you. Take care of them. Treat them with fairness. Honor them in the hard work that they have. Being filled with the Spirit is going to lead you in that direction. Notice what else is said. It talks about work. talks about your war with sin. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, all the way through verse 18. You're struggling with sin? Look at what he says. Be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take, stand against the devil's schemes. How do we begin to process that? How do we begin to put on that wardrobe that's going to enable us to have victory? The answer is found in being filled with the Spirit. You can't put on the full armor of God and not be filled with the Holy Spirit. You want to find victory over your sin, whether public or private? It begins with being filled with the Spirit. Finally, it involves our witness to the world. Look at verse 19. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. The final thing that we should be involved in is our witness to the world. When it comes to being filled with the Spirit, we bubble up so much. The Bible says that this being filled is being filled to the brim, overflowing Have you ever been so excited about something that you can't contain it? That you just want to go around and tell everybody about it? Be filled with the Holy Spirit and you'll find yourself that every conversation you have at some point comes to Jesus Christ. The reason why we see, well, I don't see many opportunities, Lord. I would be witnessing as Tim tells me to. I'd be sharing my faith. But there just aren't the opportunities. Being filled with the Spirit is going to open up a whole lot of opportunities that you never thought were possible. Why was Paul able to do what he did? It was because he came to the understanding in Acts chapter 9, what Luke says is he was filled with the Spirit. Are you this morning? Are you filled in a way that it radically changes who you are and what you're doing? If not, it starts with being converted by the Spirit. It moves to being a confessor of sin and it moves then to committing to submit to God. Make that the reality of your life this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for what your word teaches. What it tells of who you are and what you've done. Lord, it tells us how we ought to live. Not to be drunk. Not to be controlled by anything that will uh, take us away from being controlled by the Spirit. But Lord, you say to know your will. And to do it is to be filled. Lord, I pray that we would know and do the will of our Father in heaven. That we, just as Jesus, would be filled with the Spirit. Lord, you tell us in your word that your Son was full of the Holy Spirit. He was brimming, full. It was coming over the sides. And Lord, we see that even though Jesus was, in the physical sense, not much to take notice of, that people were drawn to him. Lord, we want to be like Jesus, that people will be drawn to us, whether it's in our family, our children, in our workplaces, or just declaring your, your wonderful praises of the one who's changed us and brought us out of darkness and brought us into your light. Lord, whatever it may be, that we, just like Jesus, would be filled. But Lord, we need your Spirit's help in that. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot produce it on our own. So Lord, uh, lead us and guide us in the way of your truth so that we can fulfill the Spirit-filled life in a way that will bring glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.